Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Whatever. Okay, so um, you received a parable yesterday, right? Do you remember it? Okay. And then I started talking about, um, you know, a quick down and dirty history of Budo as from the perspective of the user. So how, how does it affect the user? Um, that's where I was coming from. So when I, your question re-brought that to my mind, brought that to my mind again. Um, your question being like, um, you, when you receive an instruction, it's got to go through your mind. I'll, I'll use my terms uh, since we've talked about this so many times. Um, it goes through our mind. It, it basically gets filtered. It's a kind of filtering, do you see? And if we tie that back to earlier talks, uh, how, how do you think it, it would get filtered? What's it getting filtered through? Yeah, so... Yes, exactly. Okay, and then what is uh, the job of the ego tripartite's functioning, or what does it? What is its its end result in, of its functioning? What do you got? It makes it make sense. It makes it make sense to our existing self, or to avoid change. Yeah. Exactly, right? So it's about self-reproduction or self-reoccurrence, do you see? Um, and so that's why we, when we filter something, it it never comes out of left field or our resultant, do you see? Um, it, f it, it will manifest itself through what we have identified here as the hallmark, hallmarks of the ego tripartite's functioning, do you see? So for example, um, in order to do Jiwaza, we've done some Jiwaza earlier this week, okay? So to, in order to do Jiwaza, I have to already have the skill of releasing. Re releasing is a metaphorical, tool that you want to bring into your imagination um, in the face of that kind of subjective experience of the ego tripartite's seizing of our body-mind. There's, there's a kind of seizure that happens, do you see? It's a kind of pressure, uh, a, a kind of gravity. There's some something there, and uh, we want to release ourselves from that, okay, at the body-mind level. And then, uh, in essence, though, if we come at that from a psychological point of view, basically, uh, we are bringing a cessation to the ego tripartite's functioning on us. Or, if we want to use a, a mechanical analogy, it is a deconstruction of the ego tripartite, noted by the sensation of its functioning on us. And by default, 
what ends up happening is in the vacuum or the void of its cessation, another experience of the world manifests itself. Again, uh, using a metaphor, another mind um, is what arises and we experience the world that is terribly said, but we gain another experience of the world outside or different from the experience of the world through the sub, the sub, the ego tripartite. Okay, so the ego tripartite is noting a functioning of our psyche or functioning of the ego to bring this to modern terminology. Uh, but the reason why I don't use modern terminology because modern terminology is not focusing in on the functioning and as an end user seeking access to the other functioning of this other mind, which we call the second mind or the God consciousness. We're interested in the functioning because uh, we're, we want the access. You see, we want the usability of this. So we want to understand things functionally. We don't want to understand things um, as nouns, so to speak. They're, they're not things we're looking to identify because the identifying of things brings with it no usability. Do you see that? Um, this is a way that pre-modern traditions always understood their terms. It's a, it's a modern, scientific, really, maybe even scien scientific um, epistemology that has us going, uh, here is X, and here is what X does. Why? Do you see that? Uh, Pre-modern societies would go, here is Y. This, all this goes into Y. Y is all happening, do you see? And the happening of why and all the elements and aspects that go into why, right, as a verb, as an experience, as a doing, as a being, we call X. You see, that's different, okay? And the reason they went in that order was because they're interested not in an accumulation of knowledge or a certification with a doctorate degree or anything like that. They're interested in a usability, do you see? Uh, which is why they were fine uh, using analogies and metaphors and at the same time telling you they're irrelevant, okay? You, you, can't, you, you can't tell a scientific person that their nomenclature is irrelevant. They'll go to some entomology and it gains some authority through its Greek origins and, you know, instead of realizing, hey, you put, you're putting from the user end point of view, from the point of view of usability, you got the cart before the horse, okay? Um, so when we look at the functioning of the ego tripartite and we look at this phenomena of uh, it's, it's working, which we're going to hear called filtering, what your end resultant is, is always going to be uh, through the hallmarks of the ego tripartite. So you're always going to see uh, dichotomous behavior. It's always going to be fear-based, uh, and it's always going to um, seek or use or manifest through that will to power, which is what we call uh, what do you, when, when you as the user uh, identify which is another component, yourself, your ego, your psyche, identifies with the fear, you will always act out 
the will to power wherein you avoid certain things and prefer other things, but always at the cost of some, someone else, do you see? So, for example, if, when we're doing Jiwaza, it's not that someone um, receives an instruction and then it goes through a filter and then uh, they start doing something totally outside of the functioning we just described. No one starts kicking out push-ups or fishing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> if you tell them to relax, right, they will uh, push more. Do you see? They they will always do the opposite. Is what happens. What 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 is leading to an access of the second mind, or what is leading to a cessation of the ego tripartite? Once it's filtered through the ego tripartite, the user will do the opposite of that which was leading to the cessation of it. Always. Okay. This is where pre-modern cultures just again using a metaphor and analogy would go uh this is sin this is a sin do you see because sin in their usage of the word uh was that which is uh leading you astray from god if you understand that mystically that which is stopping you from gaining access to the god consciousness that that sin is ego tripartite functioning so that's why this is an important thing and something to go deeper into the history of Budo because uh, without knowing that history, I think we're more likely to allow the ego tripartite to function and as the end user um, be completely ignorant of, of how we're doing that and even why we're doing that. So we already mentioned a why. One why is that the ego tripartite looks to reify itself, and which is why it always does the opposite of that which leads to its cessation. Okay. So we mentioned. Uh, I would like for you to keep the the parable in mind, um, and if questions come up as you're as we're discussing the this. Uh, regarding the meaning of the parable, feel free to ask, but you can feel free to just ask a question outside of the parable. Um, so a down and dirty history of Budo from the end user, meaning somebody who's going to use it, okay? That's what we're interested in, in the functioning. So I used to be an academic. I'm not an academic. I don't, I don't want any of that stuff because it doesn't lead to any usability, okay? But we know the tradition tells us, okay, as they are trying to work uh, this problem that we're just discussing, how do I uh, stop the small self or the ego? Many, many words for it here. We call it the ego tripartite. And how do I gain access past the delusion of its reality to some other more real reality? Okay. Um, the tradition is telling us that the the Buddha practiced uh, some very austere practices. Do you see? Very, very austere. So uh, we would today categorize those as yogic, but I would say because of the bastardization of yoga in the West, um, 
what we end up doing is picturing them in some really contorting postures for long periods of time and know that wasn't it or wasn't it only okay uh it was probably best as a as a severe uh, asceticism okay so he was doing these things right and his point in the face of this severe asceticism is something that is very likely to happen uh, because the ego tripartite will filter the exercises in a way so that it continues to reify itself, do you see? So in the severity of the asceticism, even in the face of that, the ego tripartite can uh, go ahead and keep reifying the self, uh, you know, how? Well, kind of like Thomas Merton's uh, warning to his novices, is that we can develop, even in a Christian monastic order, um, that is geared towards humility, we can end up developing a pride in our humility. Do you see? So you see this warning all, all over the, these traditions uh, where the technologies or the path or the exercises or the drills have themselves been usurped by the ego tripartite, and now all it's doing is reifying the self in that sense, okay? So, as happens throughout history, when one of those technologies have been so degenerated, which we've clearly defined, when it gets usurped by the ego tripartite, uh, when the ego tripartite functions the way it's supposed to function, and the technology is actually leading in the wrong way, uh, he went another way, you see. And in time, the tradition called that a middle way, okay? And it's a middle way between, let's just say, for simplicity's sake, these kind of austere, severe, ascetic lifestyle and just a worldly lifestyle, okay? This middle way goes throughout history, right? And uh, eventually, it, it's going to hit China. At the philosophical level, there's all kinds of radical uh, elaborations, kind of like case law. So, for example, uh, you'll have a Supreme Court case. Uh, let's take a, a pivotal one in use of force in law enforcement, Graham v. Connor. Do you see? And the Supreme Court says certain things as they're making their decision, uh, and over time that becomes precedent. And the lower courts now have to refer to the Graham v. Connor decision, okay? But in doing so, over time, they elaborate what the Supreme Court was saying, you see? And now we have case law on case law, okay? This happened to Buddhism too. So this is that philosophical uh, portion of all their texts, okay? So the Buddha said something or the Buddha taught something, and then over time, uh, people on this middle way path, they will come to explain, elaborate uh, what was actually the point of that. Again, always from the end user point of view, it's usability. So in time in China, you had um, monks on the middle way um, doing practices 
um, very common to all expressions of this middle way. What I mean by that is the Vinaya, that is your, your prescription in the monastic order, uh, is pretty much agreed upon across all Buddhist traditions. Okay? The interpretation of the Buddha's words and ideas and things like that, that is very much not agreed upon. Okay? But as far as the code goes, very, very much agreed upon. So here you have these Chinese monks, and they're doing their Vinaya monastic order code. They're practicing it, you see. And uh, just by the personal whims of people, um, some were art artistic. And based upon certain philosophies that would uh, diminish that monastic code, those monastic orders, those monastic drills, those techniques, do you see? Which there was a precedent for it because the Buddha already did it. Do you see? The Buddha did it to the uh, severe asceticism. Okay? There's something that is not in those severe practices, do you see? You can gain access to it through those, but it is not itself in those practices. Okay. So there was already a precedent. So in China at a certain time, based on a certain interpretation of the Buddha's words, but you can understand where their spiritual precedent was, you had then the subjective personal leanings of monks who did artistic things. And uh, they noticed that as artists, maybe up until very recently, noticed that you can transcend the ego tripartite's functioning through art. Okay. So artists throughout pre-modern era would go ahead and tap into that God consciousness, so to speak. Okay. We just we don't have it now. It's not in our pop culture or in our modern art or in our modern architecture. Uh, as secular materialists, we're just about utilit utilitarianism kind of thing. And and that's why, as we mentioned yesterday, buildings are ugly, churches are ugly, you know, they don't, they're not awe-inspiring. Okay. So you had monks doing that, various things, tea, calligraphy, martial arts, etc., dance, all that kind of stuff, do you see? So these, these monks were like, okay, I can do my rituals, I can do my meditation, do you see, but I can still tap into the second mind aspect, using our language here, in my art form. Okay? And that, that opened the door for a kind of lay movement, do you see? Uh, and you have many monks over time that would kind of leave the monastic order in, in very much the same way, using the precedent of the Buddha's, hey, it's not really in those severe asceticism practices. It's something else, okay? So there, if it is something else, then I don't really need to even do meditation. I don't really even need to take a monastic vow. Do you, do you get it? Now you, you're opening the door for a lay movement, okay? That sounds good on paper, Okay, and it speaks to a modern mind in many ways that were not unknowingly, 
unknowingly that we're unknowingly understanding why it speaks to us and i'm going to get to that because that's the point we need to know okay so as this lay movement started in a middle way do you see in a way that was already not the austere severe ascetic practices in a way from a particular point of view we're basically making it each time less severe. Do you see that? Because even though we, we just called the middle way the middle way, compared to modern lifestyle, that pre-modern Buddhist monastic code is pretty effing severe. So I would just like to point out that Budo, in a way, is already a kind of cushioning of this technology of self. Just as the Buddha's way was already a, a cushioning of those Indian anchorites. Okay. But there's something to note, okay? Again, as I already mentioned, the, the Buddhist pre-modern monastic technology itself is pretty severe compared to Santa Barbara 2022 lifestyle. Do you see that? It's pretty severe. Well, likewise, those early martial artists that went with Budo, that I can gain access to the God consciousness through my art form, they kept as much as they could of the original Buddhist technologies, just like the original Buddhist technologies weren't all that different from those severe Indian anchor, anchorite practices. Okay? It's not a big jump to 2022 Santa Barbara, California. Do you see that? So, for example, uh, a... Budo training hall was called the dojo, and that name comes from the uh, meditation hall where you did your meditation, your zazen in the zendo, in the in the Zen temple grounds. Do you see? No, you had uh, again uh, dietary prescriptions. Uh, you had vows. Do you see vows of obedience? Uh, blood vows and things like that. They borrowed a lot of the monastic code in, in the, as much as they could, and they gave it shape. If they had, if they couldn't keep it exactly, they gave it shape such that it's being tailored for what they're doing. They're not monks, um, but it still has the technological uh, catalytic energy in it to actually function within this technology. So one of those things that you have is the sensei of a dojo it was a parallel uh, in terms of interpersonal communication and behavior to the abbot in a temple. Can you see that? All right, so you keep moving forward, forward, forward. Uh, you're now in Japan and... Um, you move forward in Japan, in history, right? And you start to have Western influence uh, making its way in there. The West has already 
dismantled a lot of these pre-modern technologies, uh, which you can pick a rough date starting at the Enlightenment, do you see? So you had in the West um, pre-modern technologies that were um, you know, just another rendition of those Indian anchorites. Uh, you had those middle ways kind of things, you know, et cetera, et cetera. In, in a way, you could, you could look at the, the birth of, the, of Christianity as a kind of middle way, do you see, from what the uh, anchorites were doing uh, in Europe and things like that, or, and even in the Middle East, okay? It's a kind of cushioning of what is what going on. But again, if you look at those people that adopted more of a cushioning uh, of what they were doing, it's pretty austere and severe in comparison to what we're doing now, okay? So in Japan, it keeps moving, moving that way. The West, that went through a very similar history, um, comes to influence Japan. And the one particular influence is this uh, secular materialism. Okay. Um, and with it, a kind of scientific understanding of the problems that these technologies of self were trying to address. Okay. So I was listening to a podcast today. It's a Huberman podcast in that, you know, he, he is, he is uh, uh, in neuroscience, do you see? And uh, in this mechanistic, uh, secular materialist, scientific worldview, the brain and the mind are like a thing. Do you see that? The, brain, the mind is in the brain, okay? Uh, if you want to follow how illogical this is, that's that book I recommended, uh, Materialism is Baloney, okay? But so, so as a neuroscientist, uh, he feels compelled to now talk about the mind, and in being someone in 2022, he feels also compelled to talk about meditation, do you see? But he has to talk about meditation from a materialist, scientific, mechanical point of view. And you, you, he's lost. He, does, he has no idea what he's talking about. Okay. What was the resultant? So let's say that's where we are now. What was the resultant in the technology, the pre-modern technology of self, when whatever led to where we are now, a mechanical view and the mind is in the brain, what was the resultant at the level of functionality? What, what technological components did we start to say, you don't need that, you don't need that, you don't need that, which we're basically describing a history of people saying, you don't need that, you don't need that. You, you see that the Buddha said that you don't need that, you don't need that, you don't need that. Okay? And then the people that uh, opened the door for what eventually became the dough arts, you don't need that, you don't need that, you don't need that. Got it? And now we're in Budo. You don't need that, you don't need that. Okay. And now we're secular materialists because Japan wants to be, uh, as, as the whole world, as we mentioned before, the... In the, in the Foucaultian sense, in, in using the, the, which I think are right on the money, Foucault's theories of power, uh, the United States is more imperialistic than ever before in that we have other cultures now wanting to be 
and act like Americans. Do you see? And part of that is uh, don't do your spooky stuff. Do act like a secular materialist. Do you, do you understand? Adopt a scientific point of view, and uh, do some hip hop and rap. Do you, do you get it? So, all right. So now here you are in this culture in Japan, and they're like, "You don't need that. You don't." Need. Well, what they start taking away? They started taking away. First and foremost, is the uh, role of the teacher. The role of the teacher, the, the equivalency between the sensei to the abbot, it's gone. It's totally gone. Um, they don't have the vows anymore, right? They don't have any sort of practices that you would do outside of the dojo. So remember, historically, the dojo was a building on the temple grounds, okay? And on, in the temple grounds, you did do meditation in the dojo, but you also did the Buddhist practices all over the grounds. Do you get it? And the same thing happened early in, as Buddha was being born. Yes, we all met and trained in the dojo, but we expanded with the lack of temple walls that they used to have, that you would do these practices and these other techniques and these other technologies uh, wherever you were. Do you see? But now we don't do that either. We, we have a, a modern conception that uh, you train at the dojo and that's all you need to do. You don't, you don't do anything outside of the dojo time. And you keep going, you don't need that even. You don't even need that. You could actually only have to train two hours a week or three hours a week. Do you see that? What eventually ends up happening is the, you have taken out too many parts in the technology. It won't work. So like we were mentioning yesterday, you have some, some technological inventions. You have a light bulb, do you see? And then it keeps advancing, do you see? You don't need that, you don't need that, you don't. We keep refining it, do you see, to its essence. And now we have these LED lights and they're pretty amazing, let's say. Do you get it? But if you take out too much, it no longer illuminates. Do you see? And now we, we give it another, another purpose, another functioning. So as we mentioned yesterday, now we, we have a LED light, but it doesn't, doesn't illuminate, so I use it as a hat. Okay? That's what's happened to, to an art like Aikido. Okay. So things kept being taken out, taken out, taken out, taken out, which is possible, but when you take out too much, it can stop functioning. And in the void created by its non-functioning, it's now open to new understandings of its functioning. And now you have a culture that's interested in becoming westernized, do you see? So they get taken seriously. What are they going to fill the blank in? They're going to fill it in with materialistic points of view. Okay. 
And so now you, 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 it, if we look at it from a truly accurate point of view, everything kind of happens simultaneously. So you have this history that's going on, a, a history of you don't need that, right? And then you have this cultural pressure from the outside to, to uh, uh, start thinking materialistically. And as your history, you kept going, you don't need that, you don't need that. You no longer had a access to the God consciousness anymore. And so all of this stuff goes ahead and reinforces each one of those things. Do you see? Be, imagine, for example, if you had access to the God consciousness, you would do exactly what mystics do even in the United States. Your materialism is full of shit. How do, how do you know? Because I've experienced the God consciousness. Do you see? But if your majority of your so-called users do not have that experience, which they less and less do because you kept taking things out and the technology is not functioning anymore. What do you say in the face of this pressure to become westernized, to be and act materialistically? Nothing. So you just follow suit. What's that look like? Well, Kind of like in today's video, you're, you're operating, you can only understand what's happening through the body. I was watching a video of Kishimaru, a, 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 a very rare video, like I've only seen it a couple times, uh, and it took a long time to see this video. It's not really out there, but it's a clear break from what the founder was doing in so many ways. Okay, and what I mean here is you're looking at a different technology now. And there's some cues that if you know what to look for, you would be able to identify these differences. Okay, so one of those differences is he's a very skinny, skinny man in the midsection. Very, very skinny. He does not have the... let's say, the supplemental coincidental adaptations from the training, that is the stress model, of working energetically. It, cre it creates a thickness in the midsection. It's not that you're aiming for that, do you see? But it just happens. But he's got like... You know, he's got like the waist of, um, you know, some video game world champion from today. It's very thin. And if you watch his technique, it's very arm-oriented. Meaning, its understanding is you move Uke's arms, and that moves Uke's center. Do you see that? Where the previous, which was an energetic understanding, which training for an energetic understanding causes coincidentally a thickness in the waist. Do you see that? The orientation was, I am touching the Uke's arms, but I'm moving their center. Do you see that? 
And you have another consequences from it. Moving a person who is resisting by their arms is all but impossible. You have to move the center of the person. You add that add another difference in pre pre modern. Let's say the found the founders' time, they would go against resistant people. They would fight in the streets. They would fight in war. They would go against the streets. So you would learn firsthand exactly what I said, which I learned from fighting people, and I still learn from law enforcement. You do not control people by trying to control their arms. So. Oh, sensei would know that, but you have now as the arts modernizing, it's not about fighting, do you see? It's not about fighting. We don't do any fighting. We don't do any sparring. We don't try to do it outside of the dojo either, right? So now you don't learn the falsity of controlling someone's arms to control their center. So you create space for it. And when you, you add in there, how did... Those first early artists in the temple understand the relationship between the Buddha's way and their martial arts. Well, they were functioning through a concentric epistemy, meaning they were different, but one in the same at every level. So you, of course, had... Uh, the Buddha's, let's again simplifying things, you had the Buddha's concept of detachment or unattachment, right? You had the Buddha's viewpoint of moving beyond dichotomy, moving beyond the ego, moving beyond desire, these kind of things. And in doing so, through various practices designed to stress and adapt for those goals, you gained access to what we call the God consciousness. They, they would call it, um, you're, 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 you have broken the karmic chain, you have freed yourself from that, do you see? The functioning of the ego tripartite. Well, in the same way, to do your martial art, it not only meant detachment, so, hey, don't let your mind get fuddered by the opponent's sword. Do you see that? But because it was concentric and because it was housed in yin-yang, because they were Chinese, you also had a notion that you had to do it inside. And what was done outside was what was done inside, and what was done materially was also done energetically. So the way that you would, over time, eventually it comes to be called in our tradition, Kokyu and Aiki, in order to be able to do Kokyu and Aiki, you would have to tap into the God consciousness. But fast forward to today, and all I got to do is control their arms materialistically, do you see? I don't have an energy component. I don't see the signs of an energy training component in the person. I don't see it in the tactics being used, control the arm, not the center. Don't fight. I took away that purpose. I also don't have 
the Kokuiki component. All I got to do is move the guy's arms. Now then, what reason is there? What technical, technological reason is there for keeping the role of the teacher as abbot? There's none. There's absolutely none. And there's no reason to train every day. And there's no reason to train all day. You see, we're far from the Buddhist ethic. And yet it's all perfectly good. To the modern person, this is our culture. And this is what makes sense. You look at the energetic art and most modern Aikidoka go, that's bullshit because they can't understand it. And the other half who claim to understand it are doing something equally as materialistic as what Kishimaru was doing. And it all makes sense. Do you see? Even saying that's bullshit, Uke's acting, do you see? Even in that denial, that ego tripartite is functioning and reifying itself. In, and whenever it does that, it makes sense to it. That's part of its reoccurrence. So here you are, you're in this dojo, and basically what we try to do is we're aware of that history and we're aware of the functioning of the ego tripartite, that it's going to make sense to us. It's going to be good what it wants to do. And we're aware of techno, techno, technological degeneration when we take out too many parts. And we're aware of what earlier technological versions had when their functioning was viable. So we are, in a way, like those first lay artists. You got to keep as much as possible. Well, as possible, that's key, do you see? I got to keep what is required for its functioning in light of our current lifestyles. Could, could you easily go on to say, um, you know what, we're going to start a, an Aikido temple and uh, shave your head, change your name, and we have a dormitory in the back. Do you see that? Yeah, we could. Would it function? Yeah, it would. It, and technologically, would it function socially? No, it, it wouldn't. Because there were other components to the temple, right? So they were financed by the government or they were financed by a peasantry, do you see? Who's going to finance this? Who would finance this great return to the ideal technology of self? It's not going to happen. And how many people would you find to come into this? How many people could you handle? 
How many people would you find in this Kali Yuga? You go, well, it would just be for us. No, you need, you need in your training because that was part of the Buddhist way. It wasn't just an in-group, do you see? They brought in constantly people that had fully functioned ego tripartites because they add to the refinement of the technology of self. Which is why a dojo that doesn't get new members ever, they, it goes stale. It's like a palm that stays still. Eventually, algae sets in. It becomes polluted. So as doing the, the best we can, a lot of it is on the, the deshi. But it always was. That is valuable to understand. You can't go, God, F my age. It, it was always on the deshi. And it still is, even in these strict monastic orders. The disciple has to be the one to ultimately decide if and to what degree they're going to use the prescribed technology of self. So there's, believe me, there are a lot of Zen monks out there right now, and they're not doing it. They're doing the ego tripartite. The Buddha's point was that there's a lot of anchorites all around me and they're just freaking ego tripartites. Do you see? So this is why I always take you back. Okay, we have, we have very much an abbot-disciple relationship in structure. But we do not have... the other things that other temples had pre-modern. So, for example, there were consequences. There were consequences that in place to help you help yourself. You see? There were, there were punitive, let's just take that. There were punitive uh, actions to help motivate you past your ego tripartite. And we don't have that. Who's going to do that? But in order to make it function, you have to put into the technology the same discipline, the same devotion, the same dedication, the same surrendering, which is really where it functions. Because the releasing skill that I aforementioned is a kind of surrendering. It, it is subjectively experienced by the ego tripartite as a surrendering to what is threatening. That's how it experiences it. So again, you have to bring back in that concentric epistemy. And now you see, ah, the same surrendering I do. So my teacher told me to do something. I do it that way. I don't do it another way. brings consciousness to the ego tripartite's functioning because much of its viability comes from its unconscious functioning in us. Maybe we can identify, man, is it weird that I'm doing the opposite right now of what the teacher said. 
So by bringing that surrendering in, you are, in essence, concentrically doing the releasing that is necessary for the cessation of the ego tripartite and the gaining of access to the God consciousness. And uh, if you look at a modern dojo, a contemporary dojo, and we are, I mean that not, not referring to uh, pejoratively, as I often do to the contemporary Aikido, contemporary Aikido. I just mean a dojo existing nowadays. Okay. You don't really have all those other practices that those early artists did outside of the dojo, right? Be let's be honest. I don't think you guys are exceptions to the to the rule in the dojo. Most people are not taking advantage that we are a temple grounds. We just have fences that are way far out than they include our home and our job. Do you see that? We don't tend to do that. We do our job one way. We do our home another way, right? So, for example, right, imagine that you were in a temple and you're in some stupid petty fight with another person in your home in the temple grounds. Guess who's showing up? A senpai, Right? But we don't have no, we don't have any problem having those fights now because our homes are outside of the temple grounds. Or even like yesterday's class, right? So yesterday, it was only people, adults, there were no kids here, right? And most of you were in a Dewey Ido, so you can look at it. That means we have people that the Eido is on the curriculum, but we have people who go, no, no, not for me. <laughs> and what fuels that? I think my teacher arbitrarily just put it on the calendar. Do you, do you understand? There's no surrendering there. It's on the calendar where you're supposed to be there. That's where you're supposed to be. We're already a cushioning. Do you see? We're, and so, if you look at it this way, it's like, you know, I'm pretty sure that seven days of training per week is not the middle way. That's probably those old Indian ascetics the Buddha was critiquing. <laughs> it's like, what? Is that not a joke? Do you understand? It's not like we're here eight hours a day. So we got people that don't just like why don't why don't you train on Sunday? Ah, what what's going on here? Just full on ego tripartite functioning. Or well, we do have people that want to be in the Ido but do not do what it takes to get in the Ido. That is the same thing. Let's say, for example, I wanted a promotion at work. You know, if I really wanted that promotion, I would gear myself towards that promotion. I would, I would already be able to do what the promotion requires me to do. So I would be studying and training all, all that I needed outside of normal work to be able to get myself to do that promotion, do you see? What is the mentality when you're like, hey, when you guys promote me, then you guys train me, and so I could do the job you promoted me for. Got it? Now, let's say there's two candidates. There's the first one who goes, I'm going to get it so that I can hit the ground running. I already have all the training. I already have it. 
That's one candidate. And then the other candidate is that second one. Who are you going to hire? So what is the mentality of this person? Like, no, you'll, you'll train me when I get there. I don't need to take my idea home and work on it and be able to do things. That's ego tripartite. It makes sense. It made perfect sense. Do you see? But it doesn't, doesn't really make sense. So we're, we're modifying the technology, but we have to be careful about how much you take out because then it doesn't function. Then we're wearing LEDs as hats. Then we're moving, we're, we're trying to control people's arms to control their body, do you see? So uh, if we don't have access to these larger temple walls, do you see? But you do, you really do, if you wanted to. And you can see how important it is. What is the Deshi's mindset in terms of the technology? Should I not? Would I be, for example, would I be inside the dojo allowed to go off on anyone else in the dojo? No, because the abbot's in the building. Do you see? It would be recognized instantly as a, just a concentric functioning of the ego tripartite. As that which is a sin, meaning that which will hinder your access to the God consciousness. So you can't take that home. Hey, we're having a conflict. Let me apply the tenets of the art, non-contestation. Releasing, do you see? Do you guys get that? But that's not what happens. The fight makes perfect sense to you. So you have it. And if you do have it, there's no consequences for it, other than the fact that the technology is not functioning. Other than the fact that you still cannot do Takamusu Aiki, still cannot do Aiki and Kokyu, and still cannot access the God consciousness. In the... In a contemporary dojo, all that gets masked with rank, do you see? You get rank and title, so you feel like you're accomplishing something. One of, the, one of the reasons we don't have rank and title here is I wanted to be clear. You are not accomplishing anything. There's nothing for you. You're just wasting time. But you as the Deshi can understand, look, in the original technology, they brought in the whole of the life experience into the practice, not just show up a couple hours a week in this one place only. You could do that, but we have no control over whether you do it or not. The only aspect we have any control over is the sensei deshi relationship the sensei as abbot the sensei as guru because it transcends the dojo space do you see 
again, in a modern materialist, Western, Westernized dojo, no, they don't allow that. The sensei is only the sensei in the dojo. So because the sensei deshi technology component can reach beyond the dojo and in the dojo, it's really your only, it's your last bastion for technological functioning. Meaning that will raise the problem of attachment, we use the Buddha's term, and that thereby provides the opportunity for cultivating non-attachment. Okay? Or using our terms, it will raise, meaning bring to your conscious level the functioning of the ego tripartite, and it will provide you with the skill necessary, the skill of releasing to bring a cessation to that ego tripartite. So I would advise you to treat it that way. It's just a tool. The teacher's just a tool. <laughs> and you just use it, use the teacher that way. So these these are like little things, do you see? The teacher tells you do do A, do B, do C. To, from the ego tripartite point of view, they're not little. That's the way that's the way the mind that mind works, do you see? That's why you can do simulated violence. It still generates the functioning of the ego tripartite. That's why you can train violence slowly. It's still at, at, the, at the user level of can you gain access to the God consciousness or not. Slow, simulated violence is enough to trigger the ego tripartite's functioning. The only thing that higher, more intense violence training does is test the integrity, do you see, of your access to the God consciousness. But mechanically, like, does it, can you, do you, can you mechanically get everything in place to gain access, yes or no? That's, that doesn't require intense training, do you see? So if you, if your ego tripartite wants to leave it, their socks in their shoes, let's say, and the dojo rule is socks go in your gear bags in the dressing room, right? And now the teacher says, Hey, uh, take your socks over there, back to your... And you're like... Arr! You see? Or the teacher goes like... Uh, I could already tell you you, you... you saw me walking over there. You know exactly what I'm going to say to you. And now you're trying to hide that you're tense. Do you see? Like, like Buddha saw those anchorites that just hid a lot of ego in these asceticism. The teacher is going to say, like, what, what, is, what is the reason your socks are here? Oh, that. Oh, fucker. Or, right, what's the etiquette say about socks? Oh. Do you see that? Or they just go, uh, should we just ignore all etiquette? Is that the point you're trying to make? 
I just want to be clear why you're doing that. Fucker. Do you see? There's all kinds of things that... Because that the ego tripartite goes to like only has one speed on and off. But the person who can release from the ego tripartite in that moment would, would go, yes, sensei. And it wouldn't stir up the behavioral reifying patterns. But here's the thing. The person that had that skill would have never put the socks there. So that's telling you that all the teacher is is a tool that brings the unconscious functioning of the ego tripartite to the surface and then provides you with an opportunity to cultivate the releasing skill. It is the ego tripartite that puts before you the position that the teacher wants power over you because it holds you as this ultimate trophy, you know, like a, like a white buffalo. <laughs> you imagine the teacher wants your white buffalo head over, over his mantle, right? Well, that's, the, that's what the ego tripartite does, which is why it is wounded when you find out the teacher does not think you are a white buffalo and actually thinks you're a piece of shit. And doesn't want you. Do you see? The, the ego tripartite goes, it's dichotomous, so it goes both ways like that. Okay? So even when the teacher's like not giving you the white buffalo head treatment, you have to release that too. The, t the teacher is bringing to you another more subtle, higher capable level of consciousness to the functioning of your ego tripartite by going, you are not a white buffalo. It wants you out. But you can stay. <laughs> Do, you see? Do you see that? Uh, so that's why throughout history, and we'll just stick with the, this, line, this history, Zen, that's why Zen teachers are motherfuckers. And why they go back and forth? Because they can, because they're tools. And the ego tripartite functions dichotomously, so they go back and forth. That's why they use paradox all the time on you. And they get in you the futility of the question that your ego tripartite wants to ask. Which one is it? Once you truly embrace the futility of that, now, now you're moving past. You see, you're moving past that ego tripartite functioning. So if you pay attention, you know, you, you all probably have a view of me, I'm sure. But if you think about it a little bit, you also have the opposite view of that view of me. And if you, if you were tasked if you were tasked, if someone tasked you right now, like they put a video camera in front of you and you go, uh, tell me, tell me about your teacher. You, you would constantly feel like you're leaving things off the table. Or you would constantly go like, 
because you already did the math. Like maybe you start talking early, and oh, yeah, this, 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 and then you're starting to realize, oh, fuck. But maybe you're someone who right from the get-go goes, mm, can't really, you know, what are you going to say? Uh, my teacher is a tool. You're, you, that is accurate on so many levels. Your teacher is a tool. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.